What's up, everybody? This is season one, episode four, I think. Yeah, I think it's about episode four of the official Weather Channel podcast. Today, we're going to talk about severe weather because it's really timely. You know, we've had a few severe weather events over the last couple of weeks. We're going to have some more coming up. We're getting into the heart of severe weather season here pretty soon. Uh, we're going to talk about some things you can do to prepare, some preparation. Um, we're going to try to give you some unique outlooks, you know, not just the typical stuff that you constantly hear. Um, and I'm going to be joined by John Erdman in just a minute. He's standing by. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, SPC outlooks, you know, the Storm Prediction Center thing where they'll put out the uh, slight risk or a moderate risk or whatever it is. There's a lot of them now, and it's crazy stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about the way that media covers severe weather. Um, also, how seriously to take warnings. And uh, maybe we'll talk about tornado sirens a little bit. I know there are a lot of people that have strong feelings about that, and uh, myself included. Guess who is in the house today, everybody? Literally in-house. John Erdman, folks. What's up, John? How's it going? Ari, it feels fantastic. I, I, I'm pretty much thawed out now. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, <laughs> the winter has been kind of a kind of a drag <laughs> in parts of the Midwest. So this feels spectacular. I feel like a new guy. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, John is a senior meteorologist here um, for weather.com, and he works remotely. He works um, from his house up in Wisconsin. You're really not far from where I grew up. I grew up in Brookfield. It's a suburb of Milwaukee, and I think you're just a little bit west of where I was, right? Heartland? Yep, that's right. Uh, representing beautiful Waukesha County. Is your daughter going to uh, Arrowhead? Uh, she will be soon, uh, you know, sooner than Sooner than I'd like to admit, so uh, it's coming up fast. <laughs> That's scary to think about, man. My daughter's eight months old, and what yours is almost in high school, huh? <laughs> yeah, she's clearly beyond the stage of, of dads are dads are cool. Now it's now it's all about dad bods, and you know, drop me off far from the front from the front of the school. And... I'm starting to get the dad bod going a little bit. I wrestled in high school and college. I used to be chiseled and all that, and now the the shape is starting to change a little bit. I've noticed. I haven't gotten like big, big yet, but I look down and I'm starting to get a little gut. You know, like there used to be a six pack there, and now I have to really work hard to even see that it's like existing anymore. I tell myself it still exists, but I really think it's uh, you know. It's pretty much gone at this point. Um, hey, how was the flight, by the way? Um, probably not too bad on the way down, but you're flying back on Sunday right in the middle of the storm, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, some, that's some great scheduling on my part. So, uh, yeah, I, the way the forecast looks right now is that this podcast taping is I'm supposed to leave Atlanta right in the middle of a squall line of possibly severe thunderstorms. And then I'm going to fly right through this thing and end up landing in southern Wisconsin where there'll probably be some, a lot of wind, maybe a little bit of snow. So, yeah, this will be quite an an adventure. (laughs) That actually sounds like a good time to me. I, I really like some good turbulence on a flight. I think it's really interesting. The thing that I always think about, and listen to this. Um, for people that are scared of flying, which my wife is one of them. She's not like super scared of flying, but she had a really bad experience with, um, gosh, what it was, I think it was Tropical Storm Allison several years ago where they had flown like directly through it and like everybody on the plane was throwing up because the turbulence was so bad. <laughs> so she's kind of scared of, of that stuff, but I like it. The thing that I always think about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure in the... Um, in the warehouse, in the, you know, the factories, whatever it is with these Boeing planes, I think they take the wings, they take the tips of the wings and they literally bend them to the point that they can touch, like they bend them upwards and they can touch like that's how much abuse a plane can take. So when you're in what you think is really bad turbulence and you look out the window and the wing is just kind of flopping around a little bit, it's not too bad. Like the plane is made to take much worse abuse than that. Isn't that, have you ever heard of that, John? I haven't, but I'll tell you what, Ari, uh, the the first time I was ever in an airplane, I didn't fly for a lot of my life growing up. Uh, the first time I ever got in a plane was uh, coming home from Colorado in school and going back to Wisconsin. And I flew through some nasty clear air turbulence. And I mean nasty stuff that was, you know, the, the, the veteran flyers on the plane were even kind of reaching for that little bag in front. <laughs> oh. And so I thought this was just kind of how it was. <laughs> And uh, so I, I haven't flown anything quite that bad. And, you know, fortunately, these storms, they they tend to either, you know, try and fly, maybe fly a little bit around them. But uh, I do have some motion sickness pills. Do you, do you ever have to take any of those? 
No, I'm pretty good with the motion sickness for the most part, I think. Uh, my wife says when she gets in the back of the car while I'm driving that she uh, gets some motion sickness. But then I tell her it's because she's on the phone. You know, like if you're reading, you're going to get sick. She's like, you drive like an animal. I'm like, no, we'll stop reading. I drive fine. <laughs> I do drive a stick shift car, which is pretty old school, and that probably contributes to it a little bit too. But uh, anyway, um, hey, are, are, is anything blooming up there yet? Probably not, right? You know, I'll tell you what, if there's no snow on the ground when I left, um, but other than that, it still looks like the dead of winter. Yeah, there's nothing blooming. Uh, it's just been it's just been so persistently cold. You know, we had this little we- weird warm spell at the end of February. It was the same one that brought like 80s up to Massachusetts on one freak late February day. And soon after that, it just it got cold. Not really not really record cold, but just persistently cold. So um, actually up there, it looks like they're seeing their first 70s of years. We're taping this up in like Chicago and Detroit. So, Oh, that's fantastic. And it was, just, I mean, literally they just had to cancel a, a, a baseball game at Wrigley Field a couple of days ago because of snow. That's, that is April for you, especially in places like Chicago. But, you know, it's funny. Everybody says that, John. This is one thing I've learned as a meteorologist, uh, um, you know, working in different markets. Hey, if you don't like the weather, just wait a couple of days. Everybody says that. It's that's that's true for the entirety of the mid latitudes, pretty much, right? <laughs> We've been waiting over a month for it to warm up up there, so I, I tell you, it, you know, I, I take a couple hours of waiting if that if that's what it would take. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, no, no. Speaking of things blooming, I mean, the allergies have just been insane in Atlanta this year. I heard on the radio today that I think uh, yesterday we had our highest uh, pollen count. It was some kind of record, like something over the either over the last five years or ever or something. It was like at fifty three hundred. First of all, I don't even know what these numbers refer to. Pollen count fifty three hundred. What are you counting? Each individual uh, piece of pot. Do you know what that number actually refers to? I, I I do know that in general they consider numbers around a hundred to one hundred and fifty rather high. And there's just, yeah, we're just in that you know we're in that time of year where just everything's blooming, every tree is blooming, and you know it's puffing up pollen. And you know you actually you guys are used to the view outside our, our our office here on the north side of Atlanta, but we have a we have a view both to the east and west, nice view from you know twenty floors up. And I look out there, and I could actually see it almost looks like this yellowish pall of haze. Oh yeah, over the city, it, it is pretty surreal. Yeah, you should have seen it a couple days ago. I mean, it, it's really crazy. There was a day where it was windy, and I was legitimately wondering if the Saharan dust layer had made it over here or something. That's what it reminded me of was the last time I saw that when I lived in Huntsville. <laughs> um, it looked like totally like smog or just something crazy like that. It was blowing all over the place. Um, you know, I've never had huge problems with allergies, but this year, something weird, like a week or two ago, I got sick and you know, it was bad. I took some antibiotics and then I've felt a little bit better, but I can't shake the cough. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's allergies. Can that make, that can make you, I always think about like itchy eyes and itchy nose and stuff like that with allergies, but can it be cough too? Well, I can, I can tell you that, uh, you know, I'm kind of in a similar boat. You know, I lived here for about 16 years and I'd never, lucky enough, had never had any type of allergy until about the fourth or fifth year I lived here in Atlanta and it just all of a sudden one spring it just it just hit me with stuffy nose and all that watery eyes. And uh, you know, I was I was walking to my hotel, uh, you know, from from taking the train from the airport last night and uh yeah, I'll tell you what, uh my nose started stuffing up already and I said, It's it. It's it's happened again after, you know, three years of not living here, you just spend one day in the one day in the pollen and it's just it just comes back like that. Yeah, it's really weird because you get the different strains in different years too, and you never know which one you're technically allergic to or whatever it is. But uh anyway, yeah, that's just kind of how it goes down here in the south. Uh, you know, this whole area, man, Huntsville, Birmingham, Jackson, Mississippi, Atlanta, just a brutal, brutal pollen this time of year. I actually got a car wash a couple of days ago. I'm surprised how long it's lasted, but it looks fantastic after looking like just a yellow car and it's charcoal gray. Um, all right, severe weather season. Um, you know, understanding that severe weather, uh, of course, causes a lot of problems. It causes injuries. It causes death and things like that. Um, me personally, as a meteorologist, I, I get excited for severe weather season. I guess I don't really feel bad saying that. You know, you have heart surgeons, you know, in order for them to do what they love, there are people that you know, have to be in bad situations sometimes, I suppose. I, I love severe weather. I just absolutely love it. Um, I love forecasting it. I love communicating about it. 
And um, so I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. So um, what do you say, John? Maybe we'll start off with uh, preparation, all right? So uh, what you typically hear is, um, you know, have a way of getting information, know where your safe spot is. For me, those are really the biggest things. I mean, wouldn't you say? That you, you need to have a way of getting these warnings, and then you have to know what to do when they come out. Yeah, first of all, I'll say, and, and all of you, all of you that know Ari well and have watched him over the years, you know, you, you spent time forecasting on here in, in Alabama, and yeah, this is this is right in your wheelhouse. So, uh, you know, we, but yeah, it, just to address that first thing you said, um, you know, there's, um, we're we're kind of torn by severe weather. Severe weather has been my favorite type of weather for many many years. Um, I only wish that it would hit over completely unpopulated areas. Then I then I'd really. Right. I really could say it's my favorite. You know, I, I still grimace every time there's a tornado warning. Um, but yeah, in all honesty, it's, it's, so this is, so this is, um, you know, this is a good topic and I'm looking forward to discussing this with you. Uh, but yeah, in general, um, you know, awareness is, is, is key, uh, you know, and, and it takes several levels, obviously. The awareness, first of all, is do you know, as we're heading into a more active period of severe weather, do you know where to go if there's a, severe thunderstorm or tornado warning issued for your location if you live in a house, if you live in a mobile home, if you live in an apartment, or if you're at work. Do you know where to go if all of a sudden you get a warning, a tornado warning, or even a severe thunderstorm warning with strong damaging winds? Do you know where to go? Um, that's the type of thing you have to you have to think about and develop a plan well before the day of severe weather hitting. So, Let's talk about um, each warning specifically, okay? So let's talk about severe thunderstorm warnings. And okay, the definition for people listening who don't know, that would be for wind of, I think it's technically 58 miles an hour greater, but I always just think of it as 60. And by the way, a 60 mile an hour wind is serious wind. I mean, I don't think people understand how strong a 60 mile an hour wind gust is. Um so they could issue a severe uh, thunderstorm warning either for that or for hail that's uh, quarter size in diameter or more. I think that's an inch in diameter or more. Or, um, you know, obviously a storm that could produce a tornado, then you would hopefully have the tornado warning. But so, so what do you do, John, personally? And be completely honest. When you're at home, a severe thunderstorm warning is issued. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the severe thunderstorm warning is – has is somewhat tricky in that uh, you know there are times where you know again it's as you said it you either have a certain wind gust you know sixty miles per hour or more you have the hail uh, or you have wind damage there are some times where you don't need wind gusts that strong to produce wind damage and that's a particular issue here in the south and in the southeast United States and in, in some part in other heavily forested areas uh, where sometimes it just takes a fifty mile an hour wind gust to down a tree. And we've we've all seen plenty of plenty of video and plenty of photos out there of trees crushing cars, tree fallen trees that have crushed houses. So it's kind of with that in mind that, um, to be honest, you know, and there are a lot of severe thunderstorm warnings that are issued. The National Weather Service try, you know, does a does a great job covering individual thunderstorms or lines of thunderstorms that could could do any of those things. Um, but it's 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 really important not to underestimate. The dangers of severe thunderstorms, uh, you know, again, just due to the capacity that they could they could down a tree. That all of a sudden, if you live in a in a, city, a heavily wooded city like Atlanta, and you have all sorts of trees surrounding your property and surrounding your house, one of those trees could come down in the house. But then people will say, also, John, you know, if a tree is going to fall on my house, what can I do about it anyway? So I guess what I'm trying to find out is I'm, I'm trying to get to the crux of. For just regular people who see that there's a severe thunderstorm warning issued for their area, I mean, do they need to be going into their bathroom and all that kind of stuff? I, I don't think so personally. I'll be completely honest. What I do, and this is this is how uh, candid we are here on the Weather Channel podcast. <laughs> now, uh, keep in mind, okay, a, a disclaimer. This is because I'm a meteorologist. First of all, if I even hear thunder, from miles away, I'm immediately on my phone. I'm I'm on radar scope and I'm seeing what the situation is. So then I'll diagnose the storm and I'll say, okay, if it ends up being a severe thunderstorm, I can pretty much tell whether it's for wind or for hail from looking at it on radar. If it's for hail, I will immediately set up a camera to 
film the thing on my deck hoping that I get into some of the hail because it will look really cool and I love watching hail storms. Um, if it's for wind, I will stand by the window and watch the whole storm. Now, um, you know, a lot of the conventional wisdom would say you probably should not do that. I think, I personally think what most people should do if you hear that there's a severe thunderstorm warning and you're not this crazy, you know, uh, weather enthusiast that has to see the whole storm. I think the biggest thing is to probably stay away from windows, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty big one, eh? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good, you know, that's, that's certainly a good start there. And, and hey, I, I hear you, you know, we're, I'll plead guilty to being a weather geek. And, uh, you know, if there's, if there's large hail moving in and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm inside, uh, you know, inside a building or I'm inside my home, I, I, I want to go outside. I want to look out, you know, look out some window from a distance away from the window and take a look and see, okay, how big the hail is falling. Um, what I, what I do when there's severe thunderstorm warning issue for my area. Um, and if you have a basement, I, and if I know there's going to be, if I know there's going to be a damaging wind potential, if they mention in this, in the body of the warning, they mentioned damaging winds, especially if they're winds say over 70 miles per hour. Sure. Because I'll actually get in the basement. I'll take, uh, because I have trees around my property and some of them are on the, some of them are on the west side of the house. So if you have, if you think of a severe thunderstorm coming from west to east, right, and it's going to have this, produce these strong outflow winds, generally from the west to the east, sometimes northwest, sometimes southwest. So if you have trees that are on the west side of your property, those thunders that are susceptible to these winds, you know, they could be blown potentially down toward the house. So I figure, well, I'm not going to take a chance. If I know there's uh, a decent damaging wind potential with, a, say, a squall line, a big line of severe thunderstorms, I'll actually go to the basement and I'll, in some sense, I'll actually treat it as a tornado warning uh, just because I'm concerned about falling trees. Yeah, there's a lot of factors to uh, take into account too, you know. And I, I'll admit, yes, I'm the big weather enthusiast. Like I just said, I love watching these things. But, you know, if if we had something coming through like the 2013 derecho and I saw that on my radar scope and I knew the history of wind damage that it had, I also live in a very heavily wooded area. Now, I, I have had a lot of trees taken out that were of immediate concern to the house. So I feel a little bit more comfortable there. In fact, gosh, with that uh, winter storm that we had down here uh, a couple of months ago. That was a loud night. There were a lot of branches coming down and things like that. And I was like, oh, thank God I took down those trees around the house because that could have been ugly. But yeah, like I was saying, I mean, if we if, if I look at the thing on radar and I know that we've got like a big derecho coming through where it's going to be, you know, 70 plus mile an hour wind, I know I got a lot of big old pine trees around. And maybe especially if it had been raining a lot over the last couple of weeks. The ground could be a little bit wet. It's a little bit easier for those trees to fall down. That would be a situation where I would probably uh, be down on the lowest floor of the house um, if I could. All right. So that's a good discussion there. Um, I guess do whatever you want at the end of the day. But um, yeah, you know, the wind, the wind worries me a lot more than the hail. The hail is more just kind of like, don't go outside. Don't be stupid and get bonked on the head with you know, big hail that's falling really fast. That one's pretty much common sense. But, um, you know, it just gets hard sometimes, John, especially in the summer. And, you know, we talked about this. We're going to talk about this more, too, with the Weather Service. They do a really good job, but I still think they warn too many storms. Um, And I think it comes because, you know, we've had such high false alarm rates for things for so long that there's really no... There doesn't have to be much accountability. It's kind of just like, hey, we need to make sure that we don't miss anything. But if we warn all these things and nothing happens, then it's okay. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. That, and and you've, just, you've just hit on the big uh, paradox that is in severe weather forecasting. So we either try and cover everything. It, it's, it's been determined you know, for, for as long as there's been forecasting that the worst thing to happen would be to miss a severe thunderstorm or a tornado. That's you don't want that to happen. So as a result, you have to issue you have to issue more warnings to make sure you catch everything. But as you just said before, that means if the more warnings that are issued, the better chance there is is a false alarm. And there are there are many times where a severe thunderstorm or tornado warning is issued because a signature on radar or a thunderstorm looks like it has the potential to produce either a tornado or damaging winds, but hasn't done so yet. There's no report. I would argue that the majority of them are that, right? Could very well be. Um, you know, and that's, 
you know, again, that's uh, you know, wanting to wanting to warn every possible storm and not and, and you, so you you, you want to cover everything and you don't want to miss anything. So okay, so we could we could just switch that around. We say okay, well, we're just gonna we're gonna have less warnings. We're gonna we're gonna leave warnings just for the higher end stuff. But what's the you know what's the you know what's the trade off there is that you're gonna miss some of the lower end events like EF zero tornadoes. Um, and you know, the, the, you know, kind of off the record, uh, you know, there've been some folks in the national weather service that says, I'm not sure if the public is ready to accept us missing or not warning more EF zero tornadoes. I don't know if there's, that's acceptable. I think it's the complete opposite. Actually. I really do. Um, I really truly think if you – and it would probably take a while just because it's been going on like this for so long. But I think if they cinched it up and really were okay with missing a couple low-end events, then it would be a situation where people were actually taking things seriously because really at the end of the day, I mean people just don't take severe thunderstorm warnings seriously because there's so many of them. Every time you, know, you get a, a, a decently tall storm that pops up in the summer that's going to produce some hail, boom, you get a severe on it. And for the majority of the people in that severe thunderstorm warning, they don't even get any hail, you know, they get really heavy rain, they'll get some pretty gusty wind, but they don't get that 60 plus mile an hour wind that makes you look out the window and go, oh my God, wow, that is severe. Holy moly. Or that big hail that's falling. It's, it, it is, a. am not saying, I'm not trying to like rag on the weather service here. I really don't want to make it sound like that. It's just a really tough conundrum overall. Um, but you know, we saw this back on April 27th, 2011. I'm talking about the big tornado outbreak and they did a bunch of social science research on this, which honestly, I don't think was that necessary. I mean, it's just, it, this stuff is not rocket science. We have high false alarm rates. Um, you live in these areas where there are constantly severe thunderstorm warnings and tornado warnings that are put out. And in the vast majority of those situations, for the people who are under those tornado warnings, nothing happens to them. Um, even in situations where you have a tornado that is confirmed, it's most likely that the vast majority of the people that were in that polygon did not experience the tornado. So it's a really, really tough situation when you think about it. But I just I would much rather miss a couple of low end ones um, and then have it such that when we know that there's a bad tornado, um, people take it seriously. Sorry, uh, that was quite a long time, but I don't know how you want to respond to that, John. No, I, that's that's a very fair point. Um, if you know, hard for podcasts here, but if you can picture your typical red polygon for a tornado warning, as you're saying, yellow polygon for severe thunderstorm, and, and if you could plot the storm reports after the storm goes through, in the large majority of cases that don't involve, say, a big mile, mile and a half wide EF4, EF5 tornado, or a, or a big derecho or a squall line with wind damage, it's just you know one house here, one house there, and 99.9% of the rest of the homes are fine. So, yes, there is this is a problem. It's a false it's a perception of a false alarm. The weather source will look at that and they say, "Well, well, but we had reports within our severe thunderstorm warning." So, it was a the warning, you know, verified, but uh, it, again, for 99.9% of the population, they were just fine. So, uh, that's one of those things, John, that you know, <sighs> It gets me upset when I think about it, not the fact that we have the high false alarm rate and everything, but I can't stand when meteorologists get on their high horse and they say, well, people need to take these things seriously. Well, you should, every time there's a tornado warning issued, you should go into your uh, bathroom and put a, a, a mattress over. Do you realize what that is asking people to do? I mean, for, especially for some of these, like in, in actual, like real life, when you have some of these spots that get a lot of tornado warnings and then you're asking these people every time there's a tornado warning when 99% of the time for them, you know, nothing is going to happen. Get your whole family, scare the crap out of them, bring them down into the basement, you know, put a mattress over, put bicycle helmets on and things like that. I think there is some gray area there where the whoever is communicating this information can uh, choose to do so in different ways based on their own knowledge of where they're looking at the radar. For instance, when I worked in Huntsville, and there are a lot of people that are good at this, by the way, especially in that market. That's a great um, Huntsville, Alabama, I'm talking about. It's a great weather market. You know, 
uh, once in a while we'd get a, a random tornado warning on maybe a quick little pop-up storm that happened in the summer. They see a little rotation at 10,000 feet and they're worried that maybe it could drop a quick tornado. Okay, so that's that's one situation. And then you have other situations where you know there's a confirmed large tornado on the ground that's going to be long track and it's been on the ground for a while and the storm has a history of producing long track violent tornadoes. You need to communicate that differently. But the problem is that when a tornado warning comes out, it's the same thing. If you were to just read the tornado warning, I mean, yes, nowadays, to be fair, there are some differences. They'll say, hey, confirmation of a tornado on the ground. But I'm just saying in general, when it comes on their phone, it's just tornado warning for uh, Madison County until blank, blank, blank. And it's the same thing that they saw before. Do you know what I'm saying, John? No, that's an excellent point. Uh, and I think the, the Weather Service has, has made some strides recently with the tornado emergencies that were um, yes, I love that, that. Were, that were rolled out. You know, really, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was after the 1999 Moore uh, Oklahoma event, or maybe it was during that event. So you hear, emer- you hear a warning and then you hear emergency. And again, I don't, I'm not a social scientist, but when I hear emergency, I, it, it's more of a, oh my God, this is really, this is really, really serious as opposed to the warning, which is serious. You know, it's kind of a step up, you know? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So there's, there's different, there's different ways to cover that. And I'm, you know, again, most of, most of our audience has probably seen the April 27th, 2011 coverage from James Spann out of Birmingham of showing, actually stepping away from the radar or at least putting the radar in the corner of the screen and showing footage of the actual tornado itself going through Tuscaloosa. Then that was you're not, amazing. Then you're not, you're not just having to convince the public that, yeah, this is serious, this is a tornado based on what some signature on radar looks like, but you can actually say, there it is. It's on the north side of such and such a town, and these streets are in the path of it. And, of course, you can use radar, too, if you know the tornado is, is in progress. But, yeah, I... I I think we just have to, you know, and it's it's a tough call because there's there's uncertainty too. In those cases where you have a supercell, you have a hook echo, but you don't have a tornadic debris signature, so you, and you don't have spotter reports. It's at night, so you don't really know if there's a tornado there. You have to. There's some uncertainty in that forecast, and plus you don't know. There's some uncertainty in the track of the supercell. Could it turn harder to the right? In other words, maybe harder to the east as opposed to northeast. So. Yeah, it, it. I think I think there's some strides being made to separate the tornado emergencies, a mile wide tornado going through a city of a hundred thousand, from the. This has a potential to produce one, but we're not sure yet. But you should still take cover. And the problem, the problem is, if we back away from that, um, that tornado warning in a case where we don't know a tornado is there. I mean, how as someone who, if you're not a meteorologist, how do you know? Uh, your quote, your number is being, is not going to be called by this. If you if you just say, well, eh, another tornado warning, you know, if you don't take it seriously, then the next thing you know, <laughs> you could be extremely right. unlucky. So. Well, one way I would handle that back in the day, if we got one of those little ones that was kind of like a spin up at 10,000 feet and I didn't personally think it was going to produce a tornado, you know, it, it, it's all in the delivery, I feel like, you know, um, you can kind of be like, hey, look, you know, I'm looking at this thing. The, the rotation is not the strongest I've ever seen. This is not going to be, you know, this does not appear to be one of these situations where we're going to have like a big long track violent tornado on the ground or something. But, you know, why don't we just get in our tornado shelter for a couple of minutes just in case, just to be safe. And uh, it's probably going to be just totally fine. And then come on out. Everything's going to be good. That is very different than April 28th, 2014, when I was on the air and I knew we had a tornado going into the city of Athens. I was saying, guys, this is not just one of those little spin-up warnings. This is not a drill. I mean, literally, we know there is a tornado on the ground here. Here's exactly where it's going to go. Get in your shelter right now. Don't mess around with this, you know? Yeah, I I think that's, I think you nailed it. Um, That's the value that on-air meteorologists and trained professionals uh, in the public sector and in the media, you know, can really value add to what the National Weather Service is providing. You know, they may be dealing with oh, some of the busiest days. They could be dealing with a dozen or more active tornado warnings at once. And, you know, the the, the on-camera Mets out there can really lend perspective to that and say, okay, this one, you really need to, you need to get below ground. This is not, this is an, this could be a, an intense violent tornado. This may not be survivable if you're not below ground. And so, right. Absolutely. 
And, uh, you know, just, just, you know, in case we have any young uh, broadcast meteorologists listening to this or maybe up-and-comers or uh, maybe students that are um, going for broadcast meteorology, I mean, that's one of the biggest things you can do to separate yourself because I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that don't do stuff like that. Um, I see a lot of on-air meteorologists that whether it's a little spin up at 10,000 feet or a tornado confirmed on the ground, they're saying the same thing. The message is the same. Um, I hear from, I've heard from some old timers. It's very important to stay calm. Very important to keep people calm. I disagree. I disagree. I mean, I think in most situations, yes, it's good to do that. And, you know, but there are some situations where I don't care if you're calm or you're scared or whatever. I just need you in your safe place. And I want you to hear the, um, the emotion in my voice that is telling you that this is a, the real deal, et cetera. So, um, anyway, all right. So what, what the heck were, where are we now, John? Boy, well, that you know, went that's, on. The, you know, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's, a, it's, you need to raise the urgency. Um, you know, if, if there is an issue and there is an issue, let's face it with false alarms, um, right. The way the way you do that is to raise the urgency of in the tone, and the words that you use, as you said perfectly. I mean this this is not a drill. This is this may not be the standard, you know, the standard warning. This is the real deal. It's confirmed. It is already doing damage, and it is it will head toward this area, and you need to get get down now. Uh, I totally agree. Another thing at the base of this issue too, John, so I think we're we're actually kind of uh, hashing this out live here, and I, we didn't really prepare too much on this podcast. We just wanted to kind of openly talk about severe weather and preparation a little bit. But, um, you know, so that's one thing that we can do to help with the whole um, warning fatigue thing, you know, broadcast meteorologists and the people who are delivering the information – uh, just you know, changing their message based on the difference in the situation. But number two thing, this is kind of obvious, but it's something that needs to get better is, I mean, the science just isn't there yet. You know, this is something that, you know, uh, I can sit here and say, oh, the weather service puts out too many warnings. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're you, you don't think they would be putting out less if the science was there, obviously, you know what I mean? One big thing that I think uh, was a goof up, and I'll publicly say it. I think we should have added more radar sites before we went to dual pole. Dual pole is really cool. It helps us pick out some of the smaller ones where they can be a little bit tough to see on velocity, maybe a little bit farther away from the radar. But, you know, usually at least for tornadoes, in most cases that I've seen where there is a debris signature, it's usually a situation where um, the tornado is showing up pretty well on the other um, variables as well, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know if you pulled up if you if you went on your search engine and you pulled up um, you know Doppler radar national NWS Doppler radar network you know you might pull up a map of the entire radar network you know see a series of concentric circles covering most of the country. Well, as you know, uh, with tornadoes, um, what really matters is in the lowest you know thousand feet or so near the ground, and the problem is. That you, know, you could have a radar site in Norman, Oklahoma, and you could have a radar site in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and in uh, you know just outside of Chicago and things like that, and that's that's fine. But when you get farther away from the radar, the the radar beam gains height above the ground, and so if you have a if you have a storm that's quite quite a distance away from the radar, uh, the radar can't see what's going on in the key areas near the ground where we're looking for rotation and you know tornadic debris signatures and things like that. So you know that, that that's the problem is we don't we don't have a dense enough network that can sample things close enough to the ground, um, you know, in a in, in, in with any kind of resolution there. So that's well, that's one nice problem. thing that there is we've got uh, those terminal Doppler sites that you can access on uh, some of the level three data. That's pretty nice, but. Yeah, I mean, John. John explained it really well. Um, you need to see what's going on close to the ground, like within you know one, two, three thousand feet. Um, sometimes you get these tornadoes that are that, that really do just pretty much form only in the lowest part of the storm. Now, very often, if you have a big supercell, and say it's a big supercell in Oklahoma or something, you know, it's like fifty, sixty thousand feet tall, and it's got a big tornado on the ground. Usually, you're going to see some pretty good continuity in the rotation. The higher in the storm you get, so if you're far away from the radar site, which is shooting out an angle, shooting out a beam at an upward angle, say you're only getting radar data from twenty, thirty thousand feet, but 
you can still see a pretty strong rotation and you know there's a tornado on the ground. You know, those situations, it's easier. But it's sometimes when you have a squall line coming through and it's really far from the radar and you see little spin-ups at like 15,000 feet and you don't know what's going on right close to the surface. This is why I'm saying I think we need to get more radar sites because if you had another radar site that was in between all these radar sites, then you could get data from closer to uh, the ground, and I think that would be a really good thing that would help a little bit. Do you have any more thoughts on that, John, or do you want to move on? I wanted to talk about the SPC stuff a little bit too. No, that makes sense. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the squall lines and the tornadoes embedded in those squall lines are a continued conundrum. Uh, they can occur at night. Uh, they can wrap up quickly. They can be wrapped in rain, uh, and those are those are always a challenge to. Um, those are frequently a challenge to detect too. So yeah, I, ideally we'd have a denser network, but you know that also that costs money, that costs resource. Money, 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 money. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's talk about these SPC outlooks. How long ago was this, John? When they when they switched things up? And for those of you not familiar, okay, this is the Storm Prediction Center. They put out outlooks um, up to seven days in advance. Uh, once you get into the uh, three-day range, they will put out these outlooks that are like either marginal risk, uh, slight risk, enhanced risk, moderate risk, or high risk. Did I get all five there? Was that it? Yeah, let's see. Uh, marginal, slight, enhanced, moderate, and high. So, yeah, those uh, – so the uh, – and this, uh, this, this office, this branch of the National Weather Service out of Norman, Oklahoma, puts out these what are called convective outlooks. And they're widely consulted by pretty much everybody in the meteorology field that has any interest in severe weather. So they're, they're very well known, some of the best, arguably the best severe weather meteorologists in, in the country, if not they're the world. They're fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, it, for, for any young meteorologists out there that aren't aware, if you, you just go to the Storm Prediction Center site, spc.noaa.gov, and you click on the convective outlook and you read, you read that, um, you will – most often learn something every single time you read it. It's, it's actually, they do excellent. Work. I do. <laughs> um, and I'll give a shout out to uh, long, some longtime forecasters out there, Roger Edwards, Rich Thompson. Um, you know, anytime they write a convective outlook, it is literally, I've, I've learned something new almost every time I read one of theirs. So it's fantastic. So yeah, those are the, those are the categories they, uh, they rank severe weather on. So um, so, and some of the, some of the verbiage is a little tricky, like marginal, we get that, right? The word marginal makes sense. Ah, it's marginally, marginal, severe, maybe a few, maybe a handful of severe storm reports in this area. Um, not well organized at all, just kind of hit or miss. Okay. We get that marginal makes sense. Um, the slight risk has kind of been a legacy of these convective outlooks for decades, um, the word slight to many of you that aren't meteorologists sounds like, well, slight, um, you know, there's, there's a slight chance I may wake up early on Saturday morning, you know, zero <laughs> uh, percent. Okay. So that's zero. So, so you're less than marginal. Okay. Got it. It's less than marginal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, but you know, as far as slight risks are concerned, that, that at least says, okay, we're expecting at least some severe weather, uh, that's somewhat organized, um, not, not a lot of coverage area to it. Uh, but there could be varying levels of intensity as they they remark on their, on their page. So um, it's really the slight that kind of gets our gets our attention uh, first of all. Then they step up and they have several other categories. Enhanced is more coverage, um, you know, more uh, more organized, a greater concentration in a larger area. Um, it's really when you get to the moderate risk. And again, um, meteorologists all when they hear moderate risk and they see that red that red polygon on their it's outlook, a big they, deal. it's a big deal. Uh, you know, if you go into Webster's Dictionary under moderate, I'm not sure if they would call moderate a big deal, but it's kind of a legacy pro. It's kind of a legacy term through these outlooks. So if you if you see a moderate risk, there aren't there aren't many of those issued in any in, you know through the year. So if you see a moderate risk that's out there, it's probably going to be a borderline outbreak. Um, and then the, the, the last one that is almost maybe used once or twice a year is the high risk. And that's where they're, they're highly certain there's going to be an outbreak and, you know, a, a massive number, either a massive number of damaging winds reports with say what's called a derecho, a big squall line with damaging widespread damaging winds, or they're expecting a, a terrible tornado outbreak, uh, with, you know, dozens and dozens of tornadoes, violent tornadoes, 
so think the super outbreak of 2011, of April 2011. Think uh, you know your your classic Oklahoma, Kansas, North Texas tornado outbreak. That might be a high risk. What do you think of the words? Um, for people not familiar, before this was a couple of years ago, they upgraded to these five different um, categories. Before it was just slight, moderate, high. Um, the new ones, well, a couple things. First of all, I know that there's a at least a decent chunk of the general public that um, ingests these forecasts, right? I think probably initially, would you agree, John? They probably met for, but they were probably meant for meteorologists to be looking at that were to be uh, communicating information, or is this? I, mean, I guess it's technically for the public, but there's a lot of technical information in it. What What do you think was their goal when they when they put these out initially? Well, if you're asking you know, the, the recent changes, uh, so in other words, the enhanced and the marginal put in there, just um, in general, general. I mean, just like yeah, yeah. I you know I think there was some. You know, again, a lot of this is based on aerial coverage. So there are some days, you know, with the new categories in place where a slight risk actually could be considered slight as far as, you know, the reports you can, by the way, if you go to the spc.noaa.gov site, you can click on reports and it'll give you your um, severe weather reports over the last, you know, 12 to 24 hours. Um, there are some days with a slight risk where it makes sense. You know, you'll see a wind damage report here, another one there. It it doesn't look terribly organized. It looks like you're throwing darts at, you know, you're throwing darts at a dartboard in a bit or in in some general area. That makes sense. So a lot of this is built on how expansive is the area of severe weather going to be. the The paradox that happens sometimes, and I know you've seen this quite a bit in your career, is You'll have a day where the atmosphere is just volatile. It's ready to blow. I mean, it it's hot. It's humid. There's a lot of wind shear, not just in the mid layers of the atmosphere, but right near the ground. But there's what's called a cap in place in the atmosphere. And we're not sure if the cap is going to bust to allow thunderstorms to develop. So sometimes, it, it, and I'm thinking, you know, specific example here, but it kind of illustrates the point. So if the cap does go, there may be one or two supercells that could produce violent tornadoes or huge hail or 80 to 100 mile per hour downburst winds. But if the cap doesn't go, you got nothing. Those are fun days, aren't they? Yeah. So it, so how do you communicate a forecast? And this is where the value add of our on-air meteorologists such as yourself are, are so valuable is saying, look, this is a this could be a really dangerous situation if the thunderstorms can develop, if they don't develop, there's nothing. Right. So how do you how do you put a risk around that? I, and it's especially tough nowadays because, you know, say you get a day where it's like that and maybe the atmosphere is looking uh, rough enough that they would put out a moderate risk or something like that. Nowadays on social media, if there's a moderate risk out, there's nobody on the face of the planet that's not going to know that there is a moderate risk. Whether they know what a moderate risk is or not, you know, it's going to be all over Facebook. You know, you're going to have your friends who aren't meteorologists going to be like, hey, did you hear there's a moderate risk today? They know it's they know it's kind of a big deal, but they don't really know what it is. Um, <laughs> that's that's true. such a challenge, man, the social media these days. Go ahead. Yeah, true. I mean, it's, you know, it, the, the, the meaning, it has meaning to meteorologists and storm chasers and those that look at these outlooks every single day. We can almost calibrate in our heads. Okay, this is what a slight risk day looks like. This is what a moderate risk and a high risk, not not difficult to imagine, but you know we we have those cases in our mind. But then it's communicating to the public. Okay, what is what does that really mean? Is it is, you know if it's a high risk day, there's a better than fifty fifty chance there's going to be some there's going to be some damaging wind or tornado fairly close, fairly uncomfortably close to you where you are, as opposed to the relatively low chance on a slight risk day, and you know a somewhat a bit more of a chance even on an enhanced risk day. So, you know, we have those in our head and we kind of get it from just looking at these outlooks day after day after day for years. But yeah, it, it's how do you communicate that concept to the public? It's well, I haven't had to deal with that one too many times. You know, those cap issues are usually at least a little more often from what it seems like out in the plains, you know, and I was working like down in Dixie Alley where our problems were more based on 
you know, are there going to be tornadoes in the squall line? What's the exact timing going to be and things like that. But I'll, I'll take a stab at it just, just out of nowhere. Um, how would I handle that? I would probably tell my viewers if we had a situation where uh, we knew we were going to have a cap in place and if it broke, then we were going to have really bad storms. And if it didn't break, then nothing was going to happen. I would probably tell them something pretty similar to that. I'd say, listen, you're going to see all this stuff all over social media about a moderate risk. And there is a, you know, there's a pretty decent chance that that could happen, but there's also a chance that absolutely nothing could happen. Listen, it's all about this cap. I want you to you know, make sure you come in and watch the four o'clock news with us. And that's right around the time that we're going to know. Like if we see some storms popping, then, then we know that it's going to happen. And if they don't start popping, then, then probably nothing's going to happen. So, you know, stick with me. I'll keep you updated on there. Something like that. Would that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, uh, you know, if your station director or your executive producer understands that, hey, give me a little bit more time. This is important. Um, you know, that's that's the kind of context people need. Um, you know, and again, it's not, it's not that particular case doesn't happen as often, but, you know, severe weather, like all meteorology is a continuum. It's not, it's not black and white. We try and put it in nice, neat buckets, but it doesn't always fit in those buckets. So we just have to have the flexibility to be able to describe that type of event. Uh, so people are, so people understand what could or could not happen. Exactly. Um, okay. So overall, do you like uh, do you like the new five tiered version better, uh, or did you like the three tiered version uh, better? Just slight, moderate, and high. I got to be honest. I think they did a really nice job with it, and part of the reason is, you know, that, that again, th- this may be more of a meteorologist issue, but there were some events that were borderline moderate that were being called slight when we had only three categories, slight, moderate, and high, um, you know, slight would take up so many, such a large bucket of scenarios with, you know, sometimes two or 300 reports of severe weather versus, you know, a dozen. <laughs> um, right. But, I remember that. You know, so I, I think, I think the enhanced was a, a, the enhanced stands between slight and moderate. That was an, an effort to kind of ramp it up and say, okay, we could have a few hundred reports out of this and it might be more widespread. But we're not expecting a massive outbreak, but here's here's a way that we can treat that. And uh, you know, the marginal events I think are 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 nice to say, well, these these are really low end stuff. We might get two or three reports in in the entire southeast. So um I think they've done I think they've done a good job as they can. And there are different criteria for different days. You know, if it's if it's the two days out or three days out, you know, you usually you usually, by the way, won't see a moderate or high risk you know, three days out. But if you do, if you happen to go to the site and you do see one, you better pay attention because that, those are the outbreaks. When the, the Storm Prediction Center does a great job, they they are conservative by nature and that's good. Um, you don't want to scream and overhype. But if you see, uh, you know, three days out, they're already talking about a moderate risk. Uh, you need to pay attention. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I do like the five tiered system. I still think the words are a little goofy. Um, you yeah, know, because uh, <laughs> yeah, enhanced seems worse than moderate. You know, slight means that you're probably going to have some stuff go down. Um, l- this is how I would categorize them. Let's let's make it such that we could just have multiple words for each category, right? So for marginal, I would say, let's call it meh. Maybe a storm. Maybe a severe storm or two. How's that? (laughs) And then for slight, probably a decent amount of severe storms. For enhanced, I would say probably widespread severe storms. For moderate, I would say uh, likely widespread severe storms and a good amount of them could be on the bad side. (laughs) That's a little too wordy, but, you know, like getting into that hatched kind of stuff where you have really big hail or some 70 plus mile an hour wind gusts or some strong tornadoes. And then obviously high, uh, you could come up with anything for that. Everybody knows what it means when you see the high, but um, I know we're kind of droning on about this, but man, I could talk about this forever. Okay. um, Let let me quickly talk about sirens before we go. Uh, I do want to wrap up soon, but Sirens are something that people have such strong feelings about. So I got to tell you, James Spann is one of my favorites. Like I based so much of the way I covered severe weather when I worked in Huntsville, just based on watching his videos. I, I just I have so much respect for the guy. It's not even funny. 
Um, but I can't stand his stance on the sirens. He says, get rid of them, get rid of the sirens. Cause you can't hear them inside. So there's still people outside that can hear them, right? Like why just completely get rid of them? <laughs> what do you think, John? Well, I think we're, when we were talking before this, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a siren pretty close to your house growing up in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. See, I had one kitty corner from my house and it was unmistakable. I mean, there's, I could have, I could have heard it with my headphones on cranking music in my house. It was that loud. It was that jarring. But obviously, they're meant for people outdoors, not indoors. And, you know, in this day, in this day and age, if people are, you know, spending more time with, with headphones in their ears or, you know, uh, earbuds and things like that, they, that may not be the case. Um, yeah. I, you know, we just need to have, there just needs to be several different ways for you to get warnings. Um, you know, let's, Smartphones are pervasive. Uh, you know, the government is has, has has been good enough to push alerts to our smartphone, uh, but you need to have a way not only just to get that warning, but to f- but to also access. You know, what's the context of it? You know, and they can say tornado warning for your area. Get you know, tune in for more information. But you know, if you if you have a favorite app, such as if you, if you have the Weather Channel app, you can turn on. Make sure your government alerts are turned on. So you can just tap on that and then read the National Weather Service warning, at least get that information to you. So you need multiple methods, um, you know, whether it's smartphone, whether it's TV, whether it's NOAA weather radio, uh, or whether it's siren, uh, you know, however you get it, however you get the warning, just make sure you have a way of getting it. The thing about the siren that I really like is that I'm a very experienced severe weather guy. I've gone storm chasing. I've seen things, etc. But still, every time I hear a tornado siren in person, it makes my stomach turn a little bit. There's some kind of, you know, dark, um, grim, I don't know really what the word for it is, eerie. When I hear it, I just, all of a sudden, I'm on high alert and I feel like, something serious is going to happen and I need to find out what that is and take it seriously. You know, it's very different than when, you know, you get it on your phone, you just see a severe thunderstorm warning comes up and it goes ding. And like when you hear the tornado sound, it's like, it, it sounds like it's from the movie Twister, right? That's the biggest reason that I like the sirens and I get it. I'm not saying that we should be relying on them for, uh, for everybody getting warnings uh, that I think that's ridiculous. And I agree with span as far as that goes, but uh, getting, doing away with them completely, man, there could be some people outside that maybe don't have a phone on them or something. And, you know, I don't know. No question. I mean, you know, you know, think about if you're at an outdoor event, you know, you're at a, Hey, you're at a summer fest in Milwaukee, you know, you're enjoying, you're enjoying whatever music festival you're at. Oh, I miss and- summer fest, man. <laughs> well, come on up, buddy. Come on up, buddy. We'll get tickets for you. Uh, you know, if you're at an outdoor event and let's say you're, you got your phone in your pocket and, you know, let's say your, your phone buzzes and you, you might, it might not, it might not trigger you to look at it. Maybe you're just having a good time. You know, you're, you're, you're grooving to the music. Everything's good. Your smartphone buzzes. Uh, maybe you think it's a text. I don't know. Maybe you think it's, you know, you're, you're not answering your phone. I'm, I'm having fun. Uh, you might be vaguely aware that there are thunderstorms around, but you don't answer your text. Well, then how do you get the warning? Uh, obviously, the these large event venues um, should have plans in place to alert people and get people to shelter. But, you know, there's you know, if there's a siren that happens to be nearby, why not sound it? Well, I'm telling you, I mean, picture that you're out at at Summerfest, right? And you're waiting for a concert to start or you're just having a beer or something and you hear a tornado siren. What do you, what do you immediately think and what do you think every single other person that's there is thinking? Oh my god, that's a tornado siren. There's probably a tornado coming, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it sticks with you. You know, I I like I said, you hear it once and you you're you're haunted by it. I I used to get them at night. <laughs> yeah, it's going in the middle of the night, which which uh, would make my heart skip three beats. Um, so it, you know, it, it if you hear it, you'll you'll pay attention. So you either um, you either think, oh my god, there's a tornado coming, or oh my god, it's noon on Wednesday. Holy moly! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're they're testing it. So you know, I, I we realize there are issues with there are challenges with sirens. You know, some some are county owned, some are city owned, some are owned by you know you know municipalities that, you know, have to work those issues out. Some have maintenance issues. We, we, we know it's, there are cumbersome issues with that, but, you know, 
just have redundant ways of getting a warning, however you prefer, whatever platform you prefer. Um, just make sure you have a way before the storm hits that if this hits in the middle of the night, if it's 1230 and you're sound asleep and there's a tornado warning issued, you know, make, make sure your phones turn on. Make sure your alerts are on. Make sure your no weather radio is on. However you get it, make sure that you have a method and multiple methods. Yeah, so I guess to boil things down, it's really simple. Number one, you have to have just a way of getting the information. And if you don't have that now, and I know not everybody does, whether it's a weather radio or, you know, some kind of app or something, just get the Weather Channel app. Um, you know, I mean, really, you just go in there to the settings, the notifications, and you turn on the government alerts. That's where you're going to get all your severe warnings. Now, I personally, and I work for the Weather Channel, I make videos on the app all the time. I have it off because... <laughs> with my job, there's just no way I'm not going to know if there is severe weather coming in. So it's pointless. It's redundant. Like I'm already on my radar app looking at stuff if I even hear thunder. But um, that's a really easy way to get info if you want to. Um, you know, weather uh, weather radios work fine. I kind of I kind of think the weather radio's got a little bit of an eerie thing going to it too, John. Something about that robotic voice. Like back in the day when you hear the, you know, the the way that the siren comes on. Like on the weather radio and then that robotic voice starts and you're like, wow, this this is scary, right? Like when you were a kid. <laughs> well, there's there's no way to mistake the NOAA weather radio alarm tone. It is meant to wake you up from a sound sleep. It is jarring. <laughs> it will scare the crap out of you. It did it did me every single time. I actually turned it off during the day. Uh, well, because, you know, some of the similar reasons you said you're, you're already engaged, you're looking at it as a meteorologist, but I, I still have fears of that, of that sound, but it's, it's a good thing in that it wakes you up in the middle of the night, in a dead sleep and uh, it's unmistakable. If it's turned on, you, you won't miss it. And I just, I just love the fact that this many years later, it's still the same thing. Like you still get the creepy, like Stephen Hawking voice going in there. And like, it's the exact same as it was like 30 years ago. I mean, I think some of the radios nowadays, they've gotten like cosmetic improvements, but it's still the same old, same old. They can't get like Cantori to go in there and like voice over some warnings or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just make those the standard. <laughs> yeah, that that would be fun, wouldn't it? You know, but, uh, you know, and, and again, it's, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that the Weather Service continues to maintain this. This is an important resource. Um, you know, it's it's designed to wake you up uh, in the middle of the night. Now, the cool thing is on the Weather Channel app, um, you can have the government alerts turned on, you know, to get more context in those alerts. But they also have alerts for rain, snow, or lightning. And, you know, we haven't talked much about the lightning threat, but, uh, you know, in the middle of the summer, you can, you can get a non-severe thunderstorm and it's a thunderstorm. It produces lightning, and lightning is dangerous. So John, you can, can turn I tell lightning you, alerts on. So lightning scares the crap out of me. I've been storm chasing so many times. I've never once been scared of hail or wind or a tornado. But lightning—it's just so freaking scary because <laughs> it can just happen at any time, and there's nothing you can do about it. And by the time you know about it, it's already happened, and you're already—you've already been hit by lightning. You know. So I—that is one thing I really don't mess around with anymore, especially since working here at the weather channel and, you know, covering a lot more stories where people have been hit by lightning. Back in the day, I used to be kind of lackadaisical about it. Like, ah, nobody gets hit by lightning. It's a once in a while kind of thing. It's like getting, you know, winning the lottery or whatever. But if you're a storm enthusiast and you like to be out in storms, you know, already there, you're increasing your chances because you're in the storms more often, especially in some of these summertime storms where they get tall pretty quick. Um, there's just a lot of rubbing going on in the top of those storms, a lot of static electricity and just a lot of lightning. But, uh, yeah, the lightning alerts are great. That's a, that's a fantastic thing to have. So good stuff, John, you're still in town for another day and, uh, we're going to record another one of these tomorrow, but they'll be released, um, kind of far apart. But, uh, how far away is your hotel? Uh, fortunately it's about a block away. So I, I get a nice, I get a nice walk oh, through the breathe in the pollen <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, suck that all in, suck in the 70s and 80s before I have to go back to the great white north here in about uh, you, three days. Oh, my gosh. I don't I don't want to hear any complaining about a block away from here. My commute, I live up in Woodstock. It's legitimately two hours each way most days, close to it. On a good day, it'll be an hour and a half. But a couple of days uh, in the morning, the morning commute uh, this week, it was about 2.15 to get to work. Okay. Atlanta traffic is no joke. Everybody complains about LA traffic. Yes, it's bad. I've driven in it before, but it is nowhere near the lack of just 
it's it's just a very bad situation here in Atlanta. There's way too many people for the city. The city's still growing. There's always construction going on. Things aren't uh, designed very well, et cetera, et cetera. That's for another podcast. But in the meantime, um, John, we've gone about an hour here. We could probably go for hours more, but we'll have some more severe weather podcasts as we go through the season, eh? Sounds good. Hey, you know, that's long commutes are made for podcasts, you know, Download our podcast and on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get them. You know, load up your load up your smartphone with podcasts, and you know, if you've got some time in your commute, you can knock out a few podcasts. That's exactly how I had the idea for this. Actually, I know you had the idea a while back, actually, but this is how it got brought back into the uh, the arena because of literally because of this long commute. My wife and I are trying to save money. We canceled the Sirius XM. So all I have is terrestrial radio and you can't listen to terrestrial radio after having Sirius XM. It's like, it's like impossible. So I started listening to podcasts and man, it's, it's really fun. Bill Burr's got a good one. Uh, I listened to the Modern Drummer podcast. That's a great one too, et cetera, et cetera. All right. We're talking people's ears off. They probably tuned out a while ago. John, great job as always, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you next time. Everybody who listened, um, thanks a lot for listening in. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Ari Weather. By the way, this is the best time in the podcast to introduce myself right at the very last 10 seconds. I'm Ari Sarsalari. Hi, everybody. I don't think I introduced myself. And, uh, of course, John Erdman there, at WXJ Erdman on Twitter. I'm at Ari Weather. Um, You know, try to give us a good rating if you liked it. If not, it's okay. Uh, But we'll see you back here next time. 